Lord, we just pray that um, as I come and just share from your word this morning, Lord, that you would minister to us. Lord, help us to see your coming this Christmas in a new way, Lord Jesus. To understand its significance, Lord. To be ready. To have our hearts fixed on you, Lord. Amen. Okay. Right, well, I am going to be sharing with you for the next couple of Sunday mornings, um, which is great, and it's a real privilege to be able to speak. And um, I'm going to be speaking on some of the prophecies from Isaiah about Jesus, because we read these readings, don't we, every single year. You've probably heard them 20, 30, 50 times before over the years. Um, But it's good to just come and to focus on these words and to just ask Jesus to open them to us in a new way. And so I've been struck over the last few weeks by just how many layers there are to Jesus. It's a bit like an onion. I don't know if many of you cook and chop onions at home when you're preparing your dinner. I don't mean that he's like a strong-smelling vegetable, but that there are so many layers to Jesus. And sometimes things happen in our lives, or we discover something new. And I don't know about you, but I can then feel like I've barely even peeled off that brown, papery skin, the outer layer of who Jesus is, let alone really penetrated to the strong-smelling bit in the middle. But God is so incredibly gracious, isn't he? And he knows that, just to continue the onion analogy for a moment, if he chopped the onion straight in half and tried to show me the center of the onion, first off, my eyes would water and I would end up, as I often do when chopping an onion, practically blinded by the strength of it. And I think Jesus is a bit like that. He, we, need to, we need to know him little bit by little bit when we are ready as God shows us. But just recently I have felt like God has been graciously peeling back a couple more layers, helping me to see more of Jesus, to understand different aspects of his character and who he is. And I wanted to just share some of these uh, layers with you over the next couple of weeks. And God's timing is perfect, isn't he? he? He knows when the right time is to show us something new. And I hope perhaps he has something new for some of you this morning. Because God is very big on preparation. Preparation is a really important theme in God's word. At the moment, as we've been singing about this morning, we are in the season of Advent, which is a time of preparation over the four weeks running up to Christmas Day. Now, in society today, we've lost much of the meaning of Advent. Most children will probably tell you that Advent has something to do with opening a little paper door each morning and eating a tasty chocolate. But in fact, it is a time in which we look back at the eager anticipation of Jesus' first coming as a baby. And at the same time, we look forward with that same anticipation to Jesus' return in his second coming. And I want to look now at some verses from the Old Testament which speak of Christ's first coming and 
think about what they might have to teach us today as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. Now, God began preparing his people for Jesus' birth a long, long time before he ever arrived in the world. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah was a prophet in the land of Judah. And every year in the run-up to Christmas, we read what Isaiah wrote about the birth of Jesus. And these verses I'm about to read appear in practically every carol service around the world, and I can still remember saying them in church as a child. And as I said, some of you will have heard them 20, 50, 100 times over, over the years. They tell the story of a coming birth, but more than that, they tell the story of a rescuer, a prince, a father, and a king. And so over the next two weeks, I want to take a deeper look at this promised king that God was preparing his people to meet. You see, I don't think I ever really understood the significance of these verses, that they're read so often. Sometimes the things that we're most familiar with are the things that we understand the least. They pass over our heads. We expect to see them in every carol service each year. And we, we don't stop to think, what do they actually mean? What do they tell us about Jesus? What was God intending to reveal to his people when he chose these particular words to speak through the prophet Isaiah? I don't think I'd understood that the person at the heart of these verses was not simply a baby, but he was to be my prince and my father and my counselor and my God. What Isaiah tells us gets to the very heart of who Jesus is, what lies at the center of this promised king. And when we start to understand more of the heart of Jesus, we find love and peace, and hope, and joy. Those same four symbolic things we think about when we light the Advent candles. So we're going to read now from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. The words will be on the screen, or you can look them up in your Bible, and you probably know them quite well anyway. So this is what Isaiah wrote. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. The book of Isaiah is one of the prophetic books of the Bible. It's an absolutely fascinating book and one I feel that, to be honest, I'm only just beginning to appreciate. It's a book that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul quote in the New Testament more than any other book of the Old Testament. And it contains many, many prophecies about Jesus. They are startlingly accurate, from the precise place of his birth to the very nature of his death. And I really commend it to you as a book to read and to get a little bit more familiar with this year. Firstly, to put Isaiah's writing into context, he wrote about 700 years before Jesus was born, and he lived in Judah. The first 
10 chapters of the book of Isaiah set the scene of Judah as a people who have fallen far from God. Isaiah was writing during a period of relative prosperity for Judah, but there was very much an every man for himself attitude. The poor were oppressed, injustice was common. The religious life of the nation had become ritualistic and their hearts remained cold towards God. The people had drifted into idolatry and Judah faced many enemies. Sound familiar at all? It never ceases to amaze me how current the Bible is. Just like our series on 1 Corinthians, it could easily have been written describing the state of our nation today. Never let anyone tell you that the Bible is outdated. You will not find a book that puts its finger on the heart of human experience more than the Bible. Amidst the chaos and the turning away from God in Judah, however, there was hope. God spoke through Isaiah the prophet, and Isaiah tells of a king who will be born from the remnants of God's people who will return from exile and they will and bring peace to the nations and he will reign like no other and this king of course is Jesus as we look at these verses in Isaiah 9 God tells Isaiah that there are four names by which the coming king will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and prince of peace and over these next two weeks, I want to look at the last two of these uh, for no particular reason other than these are the ones that spoke to me the most. And I only have two sermon slots, so that's what I'm going to fill it with. These names are given for a reason. There are no wasted words in the Bible. God isn't flippant. He says things for a reason. And so I want us to think about what these names are trying to tell us what does God want us to know about Jesus they are all layers of his character all of which God wants us to understand and if we want to understand the anticipation that the people might have felt at the coming of the Messiah this advent and how we should in turn anticipate his return then we need to understand what these names tell us so this week we are going to look at the name everlasting father And if I could give you a lunchtime summary for this week, it would be this. Jesus loves you with a father's love. He sees your every need and he cares for you. Jesus loves you with a father's love. He sees your every need and he cares for you. And there are three things that I want to draw out this morning about this name of Jesus. Firstly, it speaks of his divinity. Secondly, it speaks of his compassion. And thirdly, it speaks of his care for the helpless. So firstly, it speaks of his divinity. The name Father is used throughout the Bible as a way of referring to God. If there were any doubt in your minds that Jesus is divine, that is, that he is like God, he is God, then that myth is further dispelled in this title. If God is giving through Isaiah the name Everlasting Father to the promised king, then he is saying something significant. 
God is saying that the coming king, the promised Messiah, would share his own father-like qualities. So what are they? What does it mean to say that Jesus will be called everlasting father? Not all our own experiences of fatherhood may be positive. In fact, some people have incredibly negative, even damaging experiences of their own earthly fathers. But God is different. We're going to take a look at a few other references to God's fatherhood in the Old Testament to help us understand more. The first one is from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. God is our father and he is our creator. He formed us. We are all the work of his hands. And I just find that such an incredibly encouraging thought, actually. I am no accident of birth. You are no accident of birth. God created you. He formed you. And he cares for you. There's a great parallel here with uh, 1 John, uh, those famous words at, uh, at the beginning of the letter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. To say that Jesus will be called Everlasting Father is to say that he formed us. He was there with God in the beginning. And if he formed us, then he knows us. He knows every part of us because he made us. As a potter knows the clay that he is working with and the pot that he has formed, so God, so Jesus, know us. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite psalms, and it is a wonderful psalm about God's intimate knowledge of us. The words are all on the screen for these. He says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Do you feel lost or lonely? Do you feel that no one understands you or gets you or even understands how you feel? God knows. He formed you and he made you and he knows your every thought. You are precious in his sight. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And if he knows all there is to know about me and all there is to know about you, then there is nothing, absolutely nothing that we cannot bring to him. People ask me sometimes, is it okay to, to tell God how I feel? Is it okay to tell him my frustrations and my angers and my hurts? Should all my prayers be positive towards God? And the answer is no, there's nothing you can't tell him because there is nothing that he doesn't already know. 
There's no prayer too angry, too silly, too frustrated, too confused that we cannot bring to God. And it's something I'm going to touch on next week, but the Psalms are full of all those kinds of prayers. They cover the whole range of our emotions. Most of the Psalms are written by King David, and David understood this about God. He understood that God had made him and knew him, and there was nothing that he needed to hide from God. God can speak so powerfully into our lives, and he has the greatest insight because he made us. It's been so exciting, I think, um, over the last uh, few weeks to see God's spirit really moving in the church. We've been exploring prophecy and words of knowledge and all of these different things as Phil's been preaching through 1 Corinthians on the gifts of the spirit. And just last week, Phil shared a word of knowledge about someone who had pain in their right leg. And two people responded Because God knows. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows what's going on in our legs. He knows what's going on in our minds. Because he made us. And I just think that's such an incredibly comforting, exciting, reassuring thing to understand. And I believe that this is something that God wants us to understand in this name. And he shall be called Everlasting Father. Jesus knows you he loves you and you can bring anything to him the second thing about this name is that it speaks of his compassion a father has compassion on his children psalm 103 verse 3 says this as a father has compassion on his children so the lord has compassion on those who fear him. Compassion is rendered differently in different translations of the Bible. Sometimes it's mercy or loving kindness or tender love. God loves you. He loves you. You are his child. He made you and he loves you and he wants to show you his love. Uh, some of you will know that over the past uh, two or three months, I've been helping run Alpha at Feltham Young Offenders Institution. And we've had a group of around 10, sometimes a few more, sometimes a few less, 18 to 21-year-old um, young guys um, each week. And I was conscious that uh, we used the phrases, God loves you and we love you a lot over the eight-week course. Um, For those of you who have uh, done Alpha or watched the recent film series, they say God loves you a lot in the film. They say it a lot. And as I was sitting there thinking, you know, when you do Alpha in a different environment, you're wondering how is this going to go down, how will this be received by these, um, you know, very cool young men. And I wonder, will they find this a bit soppy? Was it a bit too much? Did we use the word love too much? But in the final week, I was proved wrong. Any doubts that I had were proved wrong. It turns out that no one really can be reminded that God loves them too much. One of the young men who I spent a lot of time talking to over the weeks said to me uh, on the final week, he said, do you know what, miss? He said, this is the only place I come each week where I feel like anyone cares about me. 
And I find that statement so incredibly sad, but also so incredibly telling. The place where this man felt most loved was in the presence of those telling him over and over and over again that God loves him. And in turn, that we share that same love for him because Jesus showed it first to us. He is far from perfect, as indeed we all are, but that doesn't make him any less God's child, a life created and planned out by God. And it doesn't make him any less lovable to God. In fact, I go as far to say that it's only when we really know God's love for ourselves that we can begin to change because that's our first hope is understanding that we are loved and we have a compassionate father. Jesus is compassionate. He sees us where we are and he cares for us. He knows how to show us love. And I don't know whether any of you feel like that man on Alpha. Perhaps you feel like no one particularly cares about you, that you don't have family looking out for you or friends who care about where you're going in life, what you're going to do. Perhaps you feel like no one wants to help you change. But God cares. God loves you and he is a God of compassion. That compassion takes many different forms It also takes the form of a fatherly discipline. Proverbs 3, verses 11 to 12 says this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father delights, as as a father the son he delights in. I had the privilege to listen to the testimonies of several ex-offenders over the course of Alpha who came back into prison to share their stories with these young men, how they had discovered Jesus for themselves and how their lives had been transformed. And they all told, in one way or another, of the compassion that Jesus showed them in disciplining them. They all changed. They were all touched by God's Spirit, showing them that what they were doing with their lives was wrong. They weren't orientating their lives towards Jesus. It was harming them and it was harming other people. That's not a loveless telling off, as we might kind of think of discipline sometimes, but it's, it's the true compassionate discipline of a father. Discipline isn't a very fashionable thing to talk about these day, days, it seems. I'm always wary when I'm with other parents, sort of, what is it okay to say? It seems... No one, everyone's sort of very big on showing their children love and you know, we, it's not very fashionable to talk about the boundaries that we set. But the reality is, and these, these verses in Proverbs, they, they show us that, that a loving father, God, our loving father, provides us with boundaries. We are blind and wandering in the dark without Jesus, as Phil's pictures this morning showed us really clearly. And Jesus is there to show us where to put our feet. We need boundaries. When we don't have boundaries set for us by a loving father, we look elsewhere for them. The most common reason I heard from those giving their testimony of being involved in gangs, as most of the um, guys in Feltham have been, um, is that they, they were drawn to gangs because they wanted somewhere to belong and for someone to tell them what to do 
because they didn't find it at home. Compassion involves boundaries and discipline, and God gives that to us. We need to be really careful not to despise the teaching of God and his word. It's full of such incredible wisdom. The father who created us knows us much better than we can ever know ourselves. The tragedy for many young people in our society today is that they've lost their way because we've stopped showing them compassion. We've stopped setting them loving boundaries of how to live. We've said we must let our children do what they like and make their own choices. And yes, to some extent that's true. But they also, a a child needs boundaries. They need to know where they're going. 80% of the young men in Feltham affiliate to a gang. 80%. I just, I was staggered when I heard that figure from the chaplain. What those men have been lacking in their life, what they need to know is that they have a father who loves them and who has a way to live, a perfect way to live their life that can help them. We need to tell them about Jesus. And it's not just prisoners who need to hear it. I need to hear it. And so I expect a many of us. God knows what's best for you. That's why we read the Bible. The Bible is full of such wisdom. So let's be careful not to despise the word of God, but to allow it to speak to us, to chew on it, to meditate on the word. And you know, where it asks those questions about, you know, do I love my enemies? And all of those things that we think, you know, are Jesus telling us off or whatever that we may think of them. Don't, don't despise them, but allow them to speak to us. Allow God's spirit to, to touch our hearts and say, actually, am I following this? Because that's what a compassionate father does. He keeps a check on his children and he helps them to live the right way. And the third thing that this name speaks of is that it speaks of his care for the helpless. Psalm 68 verses 5 to 6 say this. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. In many ways, this verse needs very little expanding. God cares for orphans. He cares for widows. He cares for the lonely and he cares for prisoners. If you ever get the chance to um, have a look at information about Home for Good, it's a charity um, pioneered by a guy called Krish Kandahar, and it's, it's a fostering and adoption charity. I heard him speak a few weeks back at the prison ministry conference, and he was just so incredibly inspiring. And he understood this father heart of God, that he cared for the fatherless. He wants to set the lonely in families. The reason he was speaking at a prison ministry conference is because 60% of the people in prison have been in care. There is a huge correlation between the two. If we give our children a secure, safe, loving home, if we father them, if if we parent them, it will help them in their later life. I don't know whether any of you are orphans. I know some of you are widows. I know that some of you are lonely. God loves you and he cares for you with a father's heart because he cares 
for people in this situation, particularly so. He displayed this heart over and over again in his ministry. He spent time with people like this. He spent time with those on the fringes of society. He didn't treat them any differently to anyone else. If anything, he spent more time with the poor and more time with the sick, more time with the lonely than anyone else because he realized that they weren't getting this love, this father's love from people around them and they needed to know it more than anyone else from him. But we all need to know that, all of us do, because there is is no love that compares to the love of Jesus. There is no love so compassionate and caring. This is the Jesus that Isaiah was talking about when he said he will be called Everlasting Father. And he's a father I want to know. He is a father I know that I need to know. Because much as I am blessed to have many people around me who love me, there is nothing like the revelation of God's love for me. Many of you will know my testimony. I wasn't looking for anything when I found God. I felt quite fine. I had friends, a family, everything I thought I needed. And yet when I came to encounter Jesus, I came to know a love that I have never experienced before. A love that picks me up when I have fallen down, when I am feeling judged or low or like I've messed up or that no one understands me. God's love is the answer in that situation. And not only is he our father, he is our everlasting father. Isaiah 26 verse 4 says this, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Nobody else can make that claim. Jesus is eternal. Phil will be around to love me for hopefully some decades to come. But Jesus is going to be around forever to love me. And I want to know his love. I need to know it. He isn't going anywhere. He never gives up on him. I still love that we tell it mainly to children, this story, but of the lost sheep. And Jesus, you know, that, that I was reading it, in fact, to Abigail last night, you know, this story of the shepherd with a hundred sheep and one goes missing and he, he, he leaves the 99 and he goes in search for the sheep and he carries it back on his shoulder. I can't remember if that's the bit, how they tell it in the Bible, but in the children's version, that's what happens is Jesus puts this lamb on his shoulder and he carries it back and he celebrates its return. Jesus will keep on pursuing you forever. His love never gives up on you. Other people's love might give up on you. Jesus' love will never give up on you. It is here to stay. So I just want to finish by thinking about what this all means for us. What can we take from these revelations about who Jesus is? Firstly, we can know Jesus' heart for us. You are loved and you are loved with a deep Father's love. A deep, everlasting, compassionate and caring love. If you take one thing from this morning, please take away the knowledge that you have a Father in heaven who formed you, who knows you, who loved you and who sent his son Jesus for you to show you 
what a father's love looks like. If you've never known Jesus' love for you before, then I, and you feel him sort of stirring your heart this morning, then why not accept him into your heart today? He's there waiting for you with his arms stretched out wide, waiting to show you his love. Secondly, Jesus has so many layers to him, like those onions. Maybe you've known Jesus for many years, but you want to know him more. Ask God to peel back another layer today to help you to know Jesus more. Perhaps you've sensed something of that this morning, a new revelation of who he is. and Respond to that new revelation this morning. Draw near to him. Spend time reading God's word. You know, especially if you fall into, into that particular character, uh, category that Jesus cared for, the widows, the fatherless, the lonely. God cares for you and he desperately wants you to, re- to remind you of that. Read the word, you will find those reminders there time and time again of his heart for you. Pray and allow him to speak back to you. I've been so encouraged through Phil's preaching and through some other teaching that I've been receiving on, um, on the academy that I've been going to about just taking time when I pray to stop and to listen and to allow God to speak back to me. You know, we believe in the prophetic, don't we? Just as God spoke through Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came, God can still speak to us today. He knows the innermost parts of our hearts And if we just stop in the silence and when we're praying and say, Lord, would you just show me what's on your heart? How do you see me? How do you see this person I'm praying for that I have no idea how to help? How do you see them, Lord? God can show you he is the most wonderful comforter. And thirdly, Jesus has his father's heart. A father's heart for us and for the poor and for the lonely. And if we are followers of Jesus, then we are called to become like him. And that means that we too are to share the father's heart for those around us. How are we doing at caring for those around us? How are we doing at loving others? How are we doing especially on loving those who are fatherless or in prison or widowed or lonely? Jesus had a really special heart for them, and we should too. I find this an incredible challenge. It's uh, scary working with people who you're not used to working with. But I have found that as I have ventured out over the past few months to work with prisoners, which is something that's been on my heart for a long time. Lots of you will know I used to be a a criminal barrister, so I'm very familiar with people in this environment. um, And I'd always wondered whether God would have me work with them again in, in some way. And I really felt that tug on my heart at the end of the summer holidays, wondering what I was going to do with this extra time I have now Abigail's at school and I really felt that I should contact the chaplain at Felton and he was so happy to have me in and I have learned through that work that as much as these men need to know God's love and to see that love demonstrated in our love for them so I need to be humbled and to experience 
what it is to show love to them. They have taught me so much about Jesus. That seems a strange thing to say, but they have. As we show love, as we try and uh, imitate that Father's heart, as we ask God to fill us with his spirit, to help us to see these people as he does, we learn something new ourselves. I just can't put into words, really, as you can probably tell, how rewarding and faith-deepening it has been to do that work. Jesus is a servant. He's a servant king. And he calls us to follow him, as that great song says. This is our God, our servant king, and he calls us now to follow him. And that means being called to service. Service for God is the most rewarding thing. And it's also an obedience thing. It's what he asks us to do. That last verse we read in Isaiah said, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. And I literally experienced that in Feltham. God is providing families for these men by connecting them with churches for when they come out. And on that final session of Alpha, the guy leading worship was brilliant, actually, and was incredibly brave. And he said, you know what? I really feel like we need to mean what we say here, and we're going to lift our arms high as we worship And every single one of those, it turns out, not-so-tough guys lifted their arms in worship and praise to Jesus because every single one of them had encountered him on that course and had given their lives to him. It was the most powerful thing I think I have ever seen. God sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing. They weren't literally free from those walls, but they were free in their hearts. He leads them out with singing. This is the king who we are waiting expectantly for this Advent. We remember his birth. We remember his presence with us now. And we wait expectantly for his glorious return when we will know perfectly the Father's love for us. This is the king who can work miracles in ways I'm only beginning to scratch the surface of. So let's know his father's heart for us this Advent and let's ask him to fill us afresh with his spirit to show that father's heart for ourselves, for us to understand it for ourselves and for us to know how to show it to those around us. Jesus loves you with a father's love. He sees your every need and he cares for you.